I'm Derek O'Connor and I'd like to welcome you to the Directors and Dialogue series of podcasts presented by the Screen Directors Guild of Ireland. In this episode we're talking to Paddy Brannock, the director of such acclaimed Irish films as I Went Down, Man About Dog, Viva and most recently Rosie. Paddy took time to chat with us about his extraordinary career to date. So for the purposes of our interview, please introduce yourself and tell us what you do. I'm Paddy Brunock and I'm a film director. And you have been a film director in Ireland for 25 years now, 20? I think I made my first documentaries in the late 80s and I made my first short in 1991 and my first feature in 1993. I shot it around this time, actually. It's over 25 years in. Yeah, around October, uh, November. So essentially the kind of the evolution of the Irish film industry has run in tandem with, you know, your filmmaking career to date. When you started out, what structure was there? What was there to Kind of maybe the the re-evolution of it, I suppose, or the re-emergence of it um, in, in terms of, say, my first feature was called Ailsa and... Um, Say, for example, it was Ed Guiney's first feature as well. And I think we were one one of the first crowds to get development funding from the reignited Irish Film Board. And around the same time, Robert Walpole, I was involved with in Treasure Films. And so he's obviously, you know, producer that's kind of continued to do a lot of work over the years. And my first short that I made with Rob showed in in... Cork that was its premiere and in 1991 I think and Lenny Abramson's first short that Ed had produced was there in 1991 as well so there's a kind of a group of people Damien O'Donnell would, would have been around at that time Lisa Mulcahy actually was the first assistant director on on my first short and so she's gone on obviously to de- develop a career herself so there's a Probably the whole swathe of people emerged around the same time. And that was kind of maybe, for want of a better word, a second wave, you know, after Jim and Neil and Joe Comerford and um, Bob Quinn and uh, Carl Black and others, um, Pat Murphy. Then there was a, a swathe of maybe, I suppose, the next generation that coincided with the reemergence of the film board. So I went down, I think it would be fair to say, was your breakthrough film in terms of bringing your work to a a mass audience. But it also felt like the beginning of a certain wave for Irish film as well. When you look back on that, do you see a kind of a serendipity in terms of the film had a great reach globally? It feels like it launched several careers, you know, people we've seen from including Brendan Gleeson and Peter MacDonald who have gone on to have amazing careers. But also in terms of Irish film, just having a kind of a cachet, having a reach and having a kind of a, I wouldn't say like a cool, it was a cool film as well. Did you at the time, did you feel like it was a moment? It was a beginning of something? Yeah, I, I'd say we kind of, I think there was a sort of, I was aware that there was a kind of hunger and there was a sense that maybe there was a lot of space to move into that there was a lot of types of film that hadn't been made in Ireland. And so I was conscious of um, of that space being there to move into, let's say. And, you know, I think in retrospect as well, 
you know, myself, Rob Walpole, who produced it, um, Connor McPherson, who was uh, who wrote the wonderful script, and Connor had, I think, it was his first film commission. He had come out of college not that long before and had done a series of monologues, and was obviously a really interesting writer, but was just on, you know, was waiting to be. Um, Wanted, don't want to say discovered that we discovered him because his talent was there and everything but waiting to make that next push Brendan Gleeson had kind of there was a sort of feeling about Brendan that he was a really good actor and that he belonged in that sort of broader sense that he does now that he's almost the actor of the people or of Ireland or something like that 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 was there for him and he'd done Braveheart and uh, he'd done Michael Collins but I think maybe it began to crystallise a little bit. You know, we did I Went Down and shortly after it, he did The General. So his career launched. So there was a hunger around and an energy around that was uh, waiting to tip over the edge, let's say. And I think um, I was definitely aware of the energy, whether I was aware that we were going to tip over the edge and that it was going to spread. I, I can't say, I can't remember whether I had that feeling. But there was definitely an, a feeling there that there was energy and there was space to move into that hadn't been there was a there was a space to have an ambition let's say to go beyond what we had been doing before then you know and that in a funny way that ambition is great and that hunger is great but sometimes it also leads you to make mistakes in a way because there's a fair amount of uncharted territory you know you Nobody's had done the romantic comedy or nobody had done the, you know, quintessential Irish horror film or, and there's a sort of element that you're going into the sweet shop and there's almost too many spaces to move into, you know, whereas if, if in a, an industry or a film culture maybe is more established and mature, you sort of make your decisions and navigate them a little bit more precisely, I would say, whereas in that space there was, there was hunger and opportunity you know and say so you and that's the thing is in terms of your own career since you've navigated several different genres you know you've done those kind of genre films you've done horror movies you've done you know your own version of the thriller you've done and and i suppose really bringing it right up to rosie you're tackling kind of a social realist you know drama um is that in the end in terms of your own path and that's the thing you've traveled you've shot out of ireland you've shot a lot here um in terms of sustaining a career as a filmmaker um, can you look back and say that there's particular things that you've been drawn to or particular focuses or has it been a kind of a, a rolling, evolving process? And I think as a filmmaker, is it important to have, uh, as you're saying there, a vision for yourself from the beginning in terms of where you can go and what you can do or are you looking to challenge yourself? It's a funny one question because it's a question that I'm often, uh, I grapple with a bit. You know, I I, I think it is important to have you know, and at the beginning of my career, I probably had a more clearly defined sense of what type of director I was going to be or where I was going or what type of films I wanted to make. And uh, I'd say in the middle part of my career, you know, I was involved in a production company and sometimes the decisions you make as part of a production company aren't necessarily the decisions that you should make as a director. You know, the company sometimes needs to make a film and, you know, so, you know, there's other pressures, you know, to pay the wage bill or whatever is going on. So, and that maybe in my case was a, a little bit of a distraction for a while. So, and I became very conscious a number of years ago of wanting to sort of 
kind of go back to maybe the types of films that I'd started to make or was interested to make. And so, um, and Viva was very much um, in that line and Rosie was in that line as well. Did you have to go the full way around to get back to that though? Did you have to have the other experiences? Presumably at the same time you want to expand your own kind of palette. And I say when I'm grappling with it, because some of the filmmakers that I, I like a lot, you know, Danny Boyle and people like that who who have stretched themselves and spread into different genres and explored different genres. And there's a lot of genres I love as a filmmaker, you know, um, and where you're interested to uh, to explore those and, 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 and play in those genres, you know, is the real attraction to it. But I think in, in a way that maybe I didn't fully realise, I think often the industry wants to have a sense, a clearer sense of, of what your brand is and who you are. And, uh, in, and I, so I sort of feel that that's, that I think it is important to have a clear sense of what it is and where you, where you're going and that you let that be known. Um, and maybe you depart from that, but I think it is, I think it's important to have sort of a core thing that's there, you know, and, and I probably did lose that a little bit in, in the middle part of my my career, you know. And say, one thing that's there right from the outset, even to now is, you know, it's a collaborative medium, but you've always sought out and worked with very strong writers, yeah. and very, you know, writers who have kind of, I suppose, defined even a lot of the last 20 years of Irish film and theatre, people like Roddy and Conor McPherson and even Mark O'Halloran, very, you know, significant uh, artists in their own right. But at the same time, you've, you've again, you've worked, you've had your own company, but you've worked with a lot of the key producers right from the very outset of the film industry. How important is it to find those relationships? And are they relationships that kind of in the end, they just happen, they evolve as it goes on? Or do you have to, is, is that key? How key is it to really find your collaborators? Well, it's for me. It's very important in a in a couple of ways. One, obviously, you want to work with great people, you know, um, and it's something that I lo- I think I'm good at doing, and I like working with good writers, and and there's an engagement that I've enjoyed, and I think they've hopefully they've enjoyed, um, but and obviously you want to be challenged yourself, and and you know try and push the work to as good a place as it can be by working with great people. But maybe more importantly, for me, like early, I think in my the first film I made, Elsa, I remember not completely enjoying the process of it, and uh, you know it was a kind of very moody, broody young man's film, quite dark and a bit morose, maybe. And um, I, um, written by another great writer, Joe O'Connor, um, and. I remember afterwards thinking that if I'm going to work in this industry and this is going to be my my life, that I have to enjoy the process of making it. So the relationships are, are yes, about making good work, but they're also about enjoying the process and that you want to work with people that uh, whose company you enjoy and whose collaboration you enjoy. Um, so that's... That's a big part of it. So that goes across the board for whether that's writers or DOPs, editors, that you're spending so long with them and you kind of are committing to something between yourselves where you're both putting something into that project that's between you. Um, That it wants to be something that, you know, that relationship and that engagement has to 
I suppose, give pleasure and enjoyment and challenge and all of those things. So it's as much about the process, maybe as as, as it is about the work at the end of that, you know. That, well, that's how I feel about it now. And have you gotten, and again, how has that evolved? Because also you've worked on, again, every size of production imaginable. You know, you've shot in Cuba, you've shot in, you know, you've, you also, you worked with a company like Miramax when they were pretty much, you know, you know, they were, I wouldn't say the biggest company, but they're kind of the hottest company in the world at that point. So you've worked under those kind of almost kind of hothouse conditions. How does that affect, because you're talking exterior forces, how do you manage to um, maintain your own vision within that? Do you find that you enjoy that? You it, it thri- or does, Do different skill sets come into play in those situations? Yeah, I mean, just interesting you mentioned the Miramax one because in a way I learned a lesson out of that one because, you know, again, I was working with a really good writer was Simon Beaufoy. And that was on Blow Dry. On Blow Dry. Yeah. But the process drove a kind of, I'd say wrong to say a wedge but there was a kind of bit of divide and conquer a little bit between myself and Simon in a way where I mean we didn't fall out or we we got on very well and I had huge regard for him but the process um in a in a way didn't want didn't want us to to come up with the solutions together in a funny way it wanted it wanted the solution that it wanted and in, in a way you end up becoming a I felt I was becoming a manager of that process as opposed to being a creator within it a little bit. Um, so, and in a way, that was part of the the learning curve about wanting to make sure that those relationships and the way you work with writers or key creative people in it, um, that there's a clarity, I suppose, and an integrity about it because I felt in that one it was compromised a bit, you know. Um not in any not in any particular dramatic moment, but it, in a broader sense, the uh, you kind of slip into a space that you sort of say, "Why am I? I'm, I don't feel I'm making a film with somebody here. I feel that I'm I'm trying to get something from them here, something like that." It was a, it was a very different experience, and I didn't enjoy that part of it. So I kind of vowed not to get back into that situation again. So in, in those situations, though, do you take the learning? That's the thing when you find yourself. Oh, this, hugely! This, this I mean, that process. that film in particular, I Hugh, was a huge learning curve because um, you there was there was an expectation from Miramax they had bought something that they didn't feel they were getting, and that that was their ambition and their energy was all the time to get what they felt they'd bought which is reasonable in in one sense, but it wasn't going to happen. You know, the film was becoming something else and it was going to be something else. So, and in the end, you know, it's it sort of um, that the constant pressure of that energy meant that it, it became in something that was neither here nor there, you know, as a film, a little bit, you know. Um, so then does it end up being something that's almost made by committee in terms of it's, what they want and what you've given them it's not it's a it's a funny one it isn't it you can't say it's made by committee because you're not sitting around agreeing it's not like there's a sort of sense of that that's what's happening but it's it's just it's a very miramax was a very hierarchical company you know so what would happen you know harvey weinstein would say something in a meeting with his executives and it would come down the line and eventually it would come to uh me 
and I would either answer a question that is put to me. But my answer doesn't necessarily go back up the line. So what happens is it's just a constant. The question keeps reappearing and coming back down and back and down. And it's a sort of war of attrition. And eventually, um, I wouldn't say they they win, but uh, they influence. Mm. You know, that the ultimate decision isn't the one maybe that either you would have gone with or that they wanted to to implement it's some space between the two that comes out of that process you know that in other words it's a it's a, a single was a single journey type of communication you know you know that it's downward but not back up um so i, I missed the the, the the i sort of digressed on that and you asked me about those relationships with producers and everything yeah i mean it the collaboration for me is about that you put the film the project in between you you know and um, when you're working with, you know, very good people, and I've been very lucky, you know, say, for example, on Viva, you know, Carl Waters, the DOP, is fantastic DOP, Stephen Rennix, wonderful composer, um, Una Nidanila, who's the editor, who's like BAFTA award-winning editor last year, you know, she's fant- a brilliant editor. And with all of them, um, you're putting it between you and you're challenging each other in a good way, you know, in a positive way. And those challenges lead to greater outcomes, you know, where a third or dialectical process begins and the the project develops its own life between you and moves on and uh, becomes better than what was in my imagination or maybe their imaginations, you know, and that it, it exceeds those sort of things, you know. Um, and that's comes out of an honest... And uh, I suppose an engaged relationship, and that's with both key creatives and also producers. You know, who when you have good producers who want to make a great film, and that there's an honest conversation with them, and that you're both engaging. Um, uh, that's where the stuff happens, and that's what's exciting to you. It's where you get ideas. You know, and it's the ideas are exciting. You know, suddenly something comes into your head and says, Jeez, I hadn't thought of that. That's brilliant. Let's do that. That'd be brilliant. And if we did it this way, it would be even better, you know? And that's the, that's, I suppose, the drug of the thing. What makes you interested to make something um, in a creative medium, you know, is that it's, it's something that didn't exist otherwise and came and you felt that idea coming or you witnessed it coming with somebody else and you were part of that conversation where something comes out. And that's what's interesting about it. Because in the end, there couldn't be, like, I suppose, superficially, like Viva and Rosie are such different worlds. And that's the thing you inhabit, you inhabit both of them so completely. Um, Coming to something like Rosie then, where I suppose there's a kind of a, you're doing something that's so pertinent and relevant and of its time. Um, And I suppose there's, I wouldn't say a pressure, but you want to treat a serious subject seriously, while at the same time honor the drama within that. Um. When you approach the material like that, how what was your way into that particular project? Well, Rosie came um, fairly well formed in the sense that um, you know the the plot was there and the characters were there, um, but there was an opportunity to kind of you know we needed to build the script up a little bit and 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 make it longer. You know, it was going to be a bit short, um, but. There was a simplicity and purity to the script 
that I didn't want to mess with because I knew that it rang true. There was a great, you know, it it had something about it that you just immediately felt and knew and could have a sense of that purity and simplicity in it, which is very difficult to achieve. Um, so in my engagement in it was is was to sort of look at opportunities within it with, with Roddy where we could say, okay, can we make more of this moment? I think this is a great moment, but there's more to 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 get out of this and we could expand this moment and, and live with it more. And I think it was that sort of, I suppose, approach or instinct a little bit came with, and it was somewhat of, you know, in Vive as well in, as a stylistic thing, to want to immerse yourself with the characters and really have a sense of, a visceral sense of being with them in particular moments. And... um allowing the energy of those moments to play on and seeing if there's more to be gotten out of that and to feel you're in their presence in a very immediate, intimate way. Um, so and I, I suppose that's what I tried to bring out in that process and then Roddy responded well to that and, um, and came and, and, and expanded maybe five or six parts of the, of the script um, that some great moments came out of you know um uh you know um like i remember you know we had a conversation about um there was a particular thing about where they visited the house and you know in rosie they they go to the they're close to their old house and then we said well let's why don't they go to their old house and then you know why doesn't the kid go into the back garden and into his place you know and I was thinking, you know, maybe he climbs a tree or something, and then Roddy um, uh, came back with the trampoline scene, which is like, you know, and that's what oh, you get yeah. when you work with a great writer, you know. It's like yeah. the the an idea and instinct is one thing, uh, and I knew there was space there, but Roddy came back and turned that into something that was, um, you know, Gold. the best version of that, you mm. know. Um, uh, idea so or your instinct um so but for me that again that it's having those conversations where you can uh um, you know you've got a writer who's open enough to sit down and engage with you in that and uh and you chat about the possibilities within something and not being prescriptive, you know, that's something maybe in the past I was, you know, you might say, oh, could you make a scene like this or something like that? And it's not, that's not the point of it, really. Um, the point of it is to say well, there's something there already and what comes out of that rather than trying to impose something from outside that you might have an idea of a scene that you want to make or something like that. You know, that's and you're trying to impose it or shoehorn it into something. Um, it's pointless. And does uh, that come with the confidence of just, you know, you're this far in, you've worked in enough situations where you know how to get the best from the material? I think there's and a there's a bit of well. that. You, you you trust it and you sort of begin to sort of say, well, you know, even if, even if there's something not working in something, you sort of say, well, what's not working about it? Why? Um, you know, is there... And that the truth might be, and you might find the answer in the thing if you look closely, as opposed to being reactive to it and just trying to do a quick fix or borrow something from some other medium or idea that you've seen recently and sort of say if we made it just like that or you know they're the things that maybe in an earlier part of the career I would have done 
Um, whereas now it's much more saying, well, I'm I'm respecting the voice of who I'm work with, working with, and trying to see how we can uh, make yeah, that modulated, modulated, yeah. or make it work, or find the truth in it, or this maybe there's some impediment within it that's stopping the release of what's good in it, and it's trying to identify what that impediment might be, or you know, it's being a bit more organic about it, and let's say, and looking at the thing, you know. And in terms of sustaining a career, because that's the thing is that you've gone from, you know, from smaller pieces to work, and I suppose in bigger genre pieces and then back to, you know, smaller character driven pieces again. In terms of like you've been a, you know, a director in Ireland for a couple of decades now, how for people starting out, how what are the key things to remember and how hard is it to sustain? Because it's a marathon as opposed to a sprint, you know. So what have been the challenges for you? Um. I mean, it is it is tough enough to sustain it, um, you know. Um, how how did I sustain it? <laughs> you you, I suppose you're always making you know there is a degree of reactiveness about it. You know, you're you're sort of, you know, just for wrong or right. Let's say, for example, you know, with Ailsa, you know, Ailsa had won a couple of good prizes and got some very good, you know. Uh, press and reaction, critical reaction, um, but it had very little, a very small life in terms of you know, it was two weeks in a cinema and you know, television release here and a few places, but not not a huge life. And I remember reflecting, saying, "Well, I put a lot into that film, and so did everyone else who was involved." You know, um, and and it didn't really. Um, I suppose I had a naive expectation that I would make it and they would come, you know, in some way. And uh, and did that then bounce into the next one? It bounced into I went down. I think it's. I felt there was an obligation to, um, as a filmmaker, and again, I might be. I'm not saying I'm right on that, but I felt it. That's you know, yeah, that um, to engage with an audience, I wanted to be part of the audience because I'd feel that cinema isn't the film cinema is the moment when the audience meets the film that's what it is their cinema is isn't something that i have control of cinema is something that i make a film and i put it into an experience between uh, the makers and the audience which is a point at which it can become a bigger thing it can become a bigger thing and it's shared and it's about communion it's about talking it's about discussion it's about you know a feeling that you belong to to some part discussion or 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 um discourse so so I went down was part of that in a way also I kind of there was probably reaction about you know a sense of having something that had a sense of fun and lightness in it you know that I'd made a film that was quite heavy and dark and uh, you know sometimes films that are heavy or dark get a certain amount of attention and films that are lighter can can evade that you know let's say you know that they're not seen as 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 worthy you know which i which often making something light is maybe the hardest thing to do you know um and to bring a lightness into something so there was this reaction to ailsa and going into i went down and then even when i went down um you know to, to man about dog there was a couple of things there with man about dog there was a kind of sense that i went down worked in the cities but it didn't work in the rest of Ireland. Mm. And so I was kind of saying, well, what was talking to that rest of Ireland? Um, 
And uh, also there was a voice, you know, from Pierce Elliott, who yep. who who was from Belfast, and it was a kind of northern voice. And at that time, that was a voice that wasn't necessarily being heard as well. And there was something that was, I was interested in that. Um, and there was a kind of something ribald about that that wasn't too controlled. And I was interested in that. So sometimes you're, between films, you're reacting, let's say, to yeah. what you've just made or the experience of how the life of that film, um, uh, what life it might have had, you know. And then um, Man About Dog, you had that experience, like you're really connected with the public in a very profound way. It can, it connected with uh, the public. It got, you know, critically, it got, you know, hit a fair bit. And, um, but it had a very exceptional um, life in the cinema you know I yeah. can't remember I don't know what it was but it was like you know it was the number one movie it was the number one movie I, I think it was like three million dollars in the Irish box office and I can't remember what the punts were at the time I remember the dollar yeah everyone gets converted. but that's the thing where um, I suppose there's a disconnect there between something that can be critically embraced and then ultimately you're making films for an audience and I think you've had both in uh, your yeah. career as well yeah and there's and that's a something that's um, you know there's there's definitely you know, great pleasure in engaging and having that sort of engagement with the audience and having doing something that's talked about. Um, but it it didn't, you know, it doesn't. Um, it's not always the films that you you know. I enjoyed the process of making it, but it's not always the, necessarily the film that you. Um, uh, you want to make next again? Yeah, you know. Um, so has each film, and in I, a way. I think there was a sort. Of, I think with that, I remember. It's, it's it's funny. You're kind of trying to remember what you felt with at the time. There was, I I definitely had a sense, a bit with I went down, and definitely with the man about dog, that there was some sense of that the industry. Recently, say for example, the industry has been fairly robust, you know, and it's kind of been delivering, you know. Um, a fairly consistent level of success, let's say, you know, of films that are regarded as being worthwhile and that make some sort of impact. But at that stage when I went down, and sorry, when Man About Dog came out, there was a very negative press about the industry here and the fact that there was, a, you know, there was subsidy from the state through the film board and tax and stuff like that. And um, there hadn't been um, many films that had had that engagement with the audience and I kind of felt that was remiss of us at the time and it was something that we needed to do as an industry because it wasn't it felt at the time and maybe I'm wrong on this again but it felt I felt that it wasn't sustainable unless um, there was some uh, greater connection with uh, the film going public here you know and that's been built on over the over uh, the years since then you know but I think your films have gone away to help with that. I think there would have been a certain, even from an audience perspective, wariness of Irish film to begin with. Whereas now, when it comes to the Black 47s and the Rosies, and these are just, you know, and again, it's perhaps the biggest compliment you could pay it is that it's just, it's another film to choose from on your Friday night. Yeah. You're not going, well, there's that new Irish film. There's yeah. that new film yeah. I want to see. I think with I think what's happened is, I, I think definitely in the last five or you know, maybe longer to 10 years now, you know, where there's a kind of sense of um, maturing in the industry. Um, and when I say maturing, there's maturing in a lot of talents, you know, like say last week, I was working with uh, PJ Dillon and Tom McGuire, 
you know, P.J. Dillon's D.O.P., there's Game of Thrones and uh, many other great things. And Tom McGuire is a makeup artist and uh, great prosthetic makeup, works with prosthetics as well, is brilliant. And both of them were nominated for um, Emmys along in the same session that Emer Reynolds uh, won with the the farthest. farthest. Um, and that's, you know, the idea that that's happening kind of on a regular basis now where, you know, where there's nominations, awards, and it's spread over a wide range of people. It's not just directors, it's in all, in all technical areas and in other um, creative areas. It means that there's a greater pool of knowledge and confidence um, that's not just sort of based in some great white hope where there was a director who made a film that did well and then there was nothing else for another three or four years. It spread much more broadly. So the conversations generally are of a more interesting level and the challenges and the expectations of what a DOP is going to bring or a makeup artist is going to bring or a costume designer is going to bring a lot of the things that maybe in the past that might have been in the learning process speed bumps where parts of the production weren't really working as well or as they should have been or um, things with, that stood out a little bit and there wasn't the confidence to call that them standing out, you know, that they weren't quite up to standard. That's begun to disappear. And so I think that engagement with our cinema um has happened or the sort of success of our cinema has happened obviously because of you know there's a couple of exceptional people have come out of it but equally I think in general sense the broader level has risen quite a lot you know and for you then you know the film you know you've stuck with features and how again what are the challenges of being a feature director in Ireland like at the same time there's a lot of filmmakers are crossing over into TV there's a lot more fluidity between the two worlds in terms of the you know what sustains a career but also the challenges and the advantages of just telling a serialized uh, narrative so again there's that thing of do you feel like still in the end you you pursue you know features are very important to you do you have you embraced the concept of working in television and and where are your own prayers and how much of it is just from the necessity of just wanting to sustain a career as well yeah well i've you know i started off in documentaries and uh you know over the years i've done you know, made commercials and um, recently I've done some uh, TV. I did a, a couple of episodes of Block of Vikings. And, you know, I mean, I think centrally my interest is in independent features. That's where, you know, my heart is um, most. Um, although it's interesting, I kind of, I sort of as part of that, let's say, redefining of where what I was doing uh, part of that arose a little bit out of doing some commercials in an odd way. I developed a style in making some commercials that were kind of done in a very naturalistic style that I brought to Viva and then into Rosie, a sort of way of shooting and with some rules and kind of some method attached to it that that I recognized something about not trying to perfect something but trying to capture something, trying to create a space that you can find a truth that you capture as opposed to that you have an idea of a truth that you're trying to perfect. Um, and so that's become, say, the style that I have um, would have developed. And I learned that, you know, 
I mean, uh, by doing some commercials, you know. And, and so in whatever you do, you're always learning and developing. Um, I think in relation to the TV thing, it's obviously become such a huge, you know, maybe even calling it TV is the wrong word anymore, you know, because it's, you know, it's happening <coughs> in, in, in definitely not in that traditional world of television. But um, I think this, you know, maybe, you know, it's very exciting because of the possibilities and the people that are working within it at the moment um, make it very interesting. As a director, you know, it's not, um, it's not totally a director medium or hasn't traditionally been. I think that's maybe different if you're developing something and you're the lead director and you're part of the the um um the, the creative yeah. hub at the start of that and that's something that is would be you know is very interesting and uh, you know I'm sure I'll try and do a bit more of that um I think you know in doing Vikings it was quite interesting because it was there's a scale to Vikings and a ambition in Vikings you know to you know, all, all of the um, the things that you would have available to you on a quite a big budget feature film are available to you there. It's kind of a big, of, a big sandbox to play it's in. A big, yeah. epic sandbox to play in. And you're also working with people of technical, great technical ability, you know. Mm. And um, Which for you is expanding again your, I suppose, your skill set and your, just in terms of, I'm sure it's a big learning curve yeah, as well. Yeah, it is. It's a huge learning curve and but also within it as well, there's a certain sense of that there's a little bit of that it's live, you know. The scripts come uh, quite close to going into production. Mm. They're not scripts that you've been mulling over and teasing over for, you know, a year, two years beforehand in the development process. They come quite close to when you go into production. Um, you react to them and there's changes made on your reactions quite you know, mm -hmm. on an ongoing basis through the filming, you know. So it's has quite a kinetic live feel about it, which is very exciting, you know. And, and it's, and it's, it's not similar to what you're saying about Rosie, though, as well, in terms of just the the material and the relationship. It's dictating your approach to the, yeah. how you're actually tackling yeah. the, the it, scenes then. It is. Now, having said that, Vikings, I think, is kind of peculiar in a sense that it, it doesn't have... Um, you know, there's quite a sort of, I don't know if hierarchical is the right word for it, but there's a sort of, you know, the, the wisdom in in a, a long TV is that you're constantly getting notes from a myriad of executives and uh, um, and that doesn't happen in Vikings. Vikings is quite a, a, a you know, you've quite a free reign, I think an unusually free reign um, as a director. Um and it's a very supportive environment from the producers and the writer of it um, as well. So it's I think it's a it's a particularly attractive one maybe for a director to do because you, you know you don't have that sort of that thing. But you know, having said that, that process of note giving from a myriad of executives, if they're good is a brilliant thing because you're getting great ideas and good feedback and and, and, and a good quality of engagement. Uh, I think the danger happens when it's not good, you know, where, you know, it's, it's if you feel you're getting notes that aren't interesting or are reductive in some way, um, 
it's, and it's about where the negotiation begins then. Well, what it is, I don't know how much, it depends how much power you have in something mm. to negotiate, but what it is, is it can be demoralising, you know. Mm. That's the, the thing, if you don't believe in something and you're having to execute something that you don't believe in. But if it's coming with, a, you know, if they're good ideas that challenge you and there's a good engagement in it, um, it's brilliant because it makes something better, you know, and if you can make it better, you know, why would you be hanging on to your old version of it if there's a better version of it to be gotten, you know? And so it is, a, there's a an awful lot of production happening here at the moment and there's levels of it and that yeah. there is still, you know, there's there's film production and the structure of the film board, there's co-production, but also there's this massive amount of television, which is kind of, I suppose it's Greece and the the industry at the moment in terms of offering opportunities to creatives from and every imaginable, as you're saying, so many different fields are getting to work on top of their game and they're getting to work internationally. Um, and then shows like Vikings have been very good in that they are embracing Irish directors and they're affording them the opportunity and some of the other shows, Krypton, are using Irish filmmakers. And so it's not just a case that they're just landing and using Ireland as a, as a production hub. Um, does it feel like for directors now, and this is, you've seen the, the the ebb and flow of the industry, but also the industry evolve, does it seem like there is uh, opportunity for a emerging filmmaker, for an emerging director to play in these worlds, to embrace these opportunities? There's also a lot of Irish directors who are able to work internationally and are still able to work here. And you're somebody who, you have worked internationally, but you've always managed to make Ireland your base and still tell Irish stories. Um, how does the landscape feel right now? I think it's a, like it's a wonderful uh, landscape. You know, we, we, we've been very lucky that, you know, uh, to be fair, that, you know, the state has took a very benign and enlightened view at a certain stage, you know, in relation to the, the, the film and TV industry. And um, it also uh, continued to do that. We were lucky, you know, after the crash where things could have got um, burnt away, that it was seen as something, you know, even when there was cutbacks, but it was seen as something that was uh, worth cultivating. And I think that paid off, you know. Um, so, uh, so it's been, it's, that's been a long process of development that seems to me at the moment to be um, bearing particular fruit, both in an economic sense, that it's providing lots of uh, jobs and lots of opportunities for people, but in a creative sense as well, <clears throat> I think it's, it's a very good time to be a filmmaker or a TV maker. Um, I think I see, I know, you know, I see a lot of, you know, you know, you're watching the credits on things is over the last number of years and, you know, on, on good shows, good UK TV shows, you're seeing um, Irish directors that you kind of knew had done a short or done something but hadn't developed much beyond that. And you see their names coming up on good shows and good episodes of those shows as well, you know. So there's a, there's a kind of sense that the talent is there and that the talent has a certain sense of belief in itself that it can go out and show it, show what it can do, let's say. So I think that's, that's, that's happening. Um, our, you know, on the other side of it, Ireland is a bit of an anomaly because it's such a small place and we don't have, uh, you know, the, the market here, either the cinema market or the TV market is, it's small and it doesn't have, um, 
the resources, let's say, to make a lot of things happen on their own, you know, so... Um, so, so you kind of need important. to have a look beyond these shores, let's say, you know, you need to be involved uh, outside of here. But yet, uh, to be able to do that from a base that has something uh, coherent about it, both in terms of, uh, let's say, uh, when I say coherent, you know, maybe that there's a sort of sense of a style emerging or sort of certain tropes or certain traits that emerge from here that you can kind of say, oh, you might get that out of an Irish person or you might get that out of out of somebody. I, I feel this a lot of the directors out of Ireland have shown an ability to get a kind of emotional forthrightness and a, an exp emotional expressiveness in their work that I think isn't necessarily evident everywhere else. And I think that might be inter is an interesting thing. I kind of feel it, there's opportunities here to maybe, you know, in the way that the Scandinavians developed a certain version of noir, you know, maybe there's certain, particularly in television genres that, you know, whether we look at to see, can we can we cultivate those, you know? Um, there's a number of them that we could go for or try and develop, but... Uh, that hasn't fully happened, but I think it would be an interesting thing to see is that space there. I know that a lot of Irish crime writers have discussed that and and discussed it in a very interesting and articulate way. Um, you know, and maybe, you know, some of that has to happen um, in Irish TV output as well. Is is there a kind of a, a core genre or a core sense of something, you know, whether that be a sort of naturalism or social realism or whether it be... Um, uh, you know, a genre like crime or noir or something, or whether there's some sort of thing. I'd, I'd be interested to see that develop um, as a particular, let's say, badge that might give a baseline for something here too, you know? So it's important to, and that's the thing, is that within that where I suppose we're, we're a production hub and we're, you know, hosting, you know, international voices, it's very important to develop and evolve our own. And that's the thing, if you look at your own, films you've given a uh, channel to a lot of different very strong you know authors while at the same time if you can look at your own kind of journey through film what do you see can you look at it objectively and see you say you've come back to these smaller more personal um character driven pieces um how can you can you view that you know evolution through your own work now yeah i, I sort of feel that you know my you know the first uh, particularly yale say uh, you know and and to some extent i went down that it's come back around in in Viva and um, Viva and and Rosie, and there's a certain I think, you know, a kind of a certain immediacy and intimacy with the central characters, and a sort of a stylistic, a kind of presence or shadowing of the characters in a particular way that I like to do. Um, and I think that's there. Um, I suppose it's an aspect, do you, you know, I've got to think about, do I develop that further or expand on that? Or do you 
react against that sometimes it's good to mm. to go against and do something that's quite different or, or play against that is but, that is that where the fun of it going and doing a bunch of vikings then helps because you kind of get to go and just inhabit another world entirely for a little bit and you get to kind of flex those muscles too yeah i think it, there is a bit of that about it you know it was funny you know doing vikings was an adjustment for me in a way because you're you're you know you have to find your your space within that that world and you know um and what it is you can bring to that world, you know, um, because you want to feel that you're influencing it and, and having an impact on it. And it took me a couple of days to to begin to feel how, you know, how to do that on it, you know. Um, but I think the for me, the, the, the pleasure of doing Vikings is working with, you know, some great people. Um, they were really, really good people, you know, and that the production values across the board were so high um you know in the costume department the makeup department the the art departments you know the sets that they were building and the detailing of those sets the management of extras and crowds um this the special effects that they mm. bring to the you know the thing all of those things are available to you all the time and uh so there's you know it is a great pleasure and challenge to see the the sort of the technique and the craft of the film industry being brought in its fullest to something, you know, yeah. and being at your disposal to use that was 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 really great, you know. Like, you know, there was days I on Vikings where I had like three hundred extras or more, and you know, I remember on Rosie we 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 had for the whole film I think we'd a hundred and ten extras or something like mm-hmm. that for the whole film, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, so obviously and you have to spread is, that over twenty days, and that's yeah. like a very few amount, you know. Yeah. So is that the fun of it, though? There is a fun of it, and it's a different thing, you know. So, say for example, in Rosie, we would have done things like, you know, where we, you know, we have a school pickup, and you said, well, we can't do a school pickup with four extras, you know. So we have to find a way to do it, and we piggybacked off of a real school pickup, and you know, and you, you sort of a real school pickup happens over four minutes, and we said, okay, we've two days to do it, so we've got two four-minute periods where we've got to bring our show, um, our our characters and our fiction into the real world and engage and mix it into the real world for that time, and that there's an adrenaline about that. There's a sort of sense uh, that, you know, from a technical point of view, everyone has to get it right um, first time up in that um, in that moment where we don't even get to say when it starts. It starts at a certain time and we've just got to flow into that and be ready and go and then leave it, you know, and shoot around the edges. of it. Um, Which is, so again, it's exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah. And... Um, it's exciting because it's not controllable. You know, it, it, there is something that isn't controllable. And then something like Vikings is totally controllable. You know, it's where you have control over it and it's a very different uh, uh, experience and a very different adrenaline rush, you know, where you suddenly see, Jesus, there's like so many people here and 50 stunt people practicing a fight. I remember we had a rehearsal one day with 50 stunt guys practicing a battle, you know. To be able to get them out there just for a rehearsal is a huge uh, it's a luxury, luxury yeah. and privilege to be able to do that. And then to see the craft that all of those guys bring to it and the commitment that all of those stunt fighters brought to those battles um, is 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 a brilliant thing. So 
so both of them have have very diff very very different uh aspects to them and um you know but they, you get a hit out of both of them you know and so i know it's you don't want to be too reductive but in terms of you know what advice would you give to a, a filmmaker who's starting now because it seems it's never been easier yeah. to make a film in terms of just going and again you come from the world of back analog you know yeah. where it was you were shooting on film you yeah. were you know it was a much more convoluted and particular process these days in terms of just getting yourself out there you can just make your own stuff so what advice and again i suppose with a career head on you in terms of a, somebody who wants to make a career out of being a film director what would you have for them and in terms of what are the lessons learned yourself i think um you know, if I, if I was doing it now, for example, I, I think I'd be trying to make, you know, make stuff. You know, if you can make, you know, a sh small short film, you can make it, you know, if you can get your hands on two actors and a, a DSLR and a Zoom recorder, you, you kind of have the bones of, you know, what you need to make a film, you know. Um, so I think make stuff find the right balance between um when you're looking at it between being self-critical and being aware of the good things and the weak things that might be about your work you know don't be frightened to be to attack it or be critical but equally you've got to find a level of that and not uh, beat yourself up you know because you're learning and you're developing so it's finding that right kind of a reasonable space where you can uh, be critical so you your ambition and your standards are high and that you can push yourself but at the same time recognizing what's good and what the development that you're making finish it and show it to people you know in a festival or in some form of an audience because it there's a funny thing when you you it only really becomes something that uh, goes live and where you learn all your lessons when you show it to an audience I think it's where the ring of truth begins to to come out and it's where if you are listening and listening to the audience and aware of what they're how they're perceiving it and how they're perceiving and how you perceive yourself in that context as a maker you learn the real lessons at that stage so I kind of feel by being a maker making and presenting you learn a huge amount. Um, uh, now, I mean, don't mean doing it ferociously where you're not having any time to think or reflect about it, but it, I think it's a really important thing if you want to make, make, learn lessons. All of those first shorts where there's not much exposure, you know, you can be pretentious. You can... Um, cut the edges off yourself if there are a few edges that need to be cut off you know um, but equally you can recognise um, the things that you do that you enjoy and that you feel maybe are your voice or are the things that you're good at doing um, so I think that that's very important um, it's you know there's a great to make a living out of it is another level you know how to get paid for it and uh, to get paid for it and be able to sustain a life, you know. So, and that's something that, uh, you know, you just got to find a balance of doing that. How how can you make money and make the work 
that you want to make, you know. Luckily, if you're in a position to do that, they're both and they're not incompatible, that's great. But you've got, that's a, a conundrum that you've got to figure out and that's an ongoing thing that you'll always have to, you know. And then in the end, what still excites you about the process now? Like when, again, that journey from, you know, it's, it's, you've worked big, you've worked small. And right now you're, you know, it feels like you're doing work that feels to some degree the summation of everything that you've done. And it's still, you know, incredibly informed by your own voice. Are you always thinking about the next one? Is that what's keeps you in it? Yeah, well, there's like I'm working at the moment with uh, Marco Halloran on a couple of things and um, and a few other projects I'm talking about. And there, you know, there's a point at which I know, you know, I get a script that I believe in and that I feel uh, conviction about. And there's a point where I know I start hearing that script being read by actors uh, and I get very excited by that you know and you begin to see the possibilities within that um, and then that process of where gradually something comes to be and, and there's a great excitement of of making something that wouldn't exist otherwise you know that a group of people come together and they make something that otherwise wouldn't have happened and that's both from a point of view of the actual work itself, but say, for example, on Rosie, you know, the joy of seeing some of those children come to the auditions and then becoming the characters that they become in the film and seeing them as young people, you know, and seeing their their fun and enthusiasm and engagement and how that then uh, affected all the other crew on that film. That is great pleasure you know it's just the feeling that you're there is a sort of sense when you're doing it in that sense you kind of feel you're alive and that's the great thing about it you feel that sense of vitality and that I'm I feel I'm living here and that there's some excitement it's happening now if I get it right that's brilliant if I get it wrong I don't have another chance to do it so there's a certain zestfulness and um an adrenaline maybe at times that comes with that that uh, that I that I love um, and I love talking to the people that I work with because I'm lucky enough to work with great people can't go anywhere from I like to direct because I feel alive <laughs> the great end perfect yeah